Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. We are jumping into our series this week, uh, jump back into it rather. We're in week two of a series called Being Rich. And just for your information, if you are looking for more details, more applications on how you can honor God with being rich and what, how to handle your finances, if you're looking for uh, a deeper understanding of these things, um, there is a book called How to Be Rich by Andy Stanley that the majority of this is based off of. And I would highly encourage you to pick up that book and to read that to go deeper on this topic. Now, if you missed last week, let me tell you what we do here at Simple Church, if you're unfamiliar with, with us, is that we do series. It means we take a topic and we kind of look at it for several weeks at a time. What that means is that as we look at this subject, our information or our understanding of it builds week after week. So if you miss a week here, we have our Periscope, which is a live video broadcast. You can watch us live on Sunday mornings right here, which so many people do. Sometimes there's 100 to 200 people watching us from around the world, which is really crazy to think that people are doing that when you know, we just, we're, just, we're just a church in a warehouse right here in the middle of Reynoldsburg doing our thing, loving each other, loving this community, and people are tuning in to see what God's doing. I love it. And, uh, and so we, let's greet our, our people by Periscope. Hi, guys. How you doing? And uh, so they're watching by Periscope. And uh, you can also watch by Periscope if you miss. So you don't have to watch it live. Periscope now archives all those videos so that you can watch them uh, down the road. You can, you can watch them anytime, kind of like a YouTube channel. So if you miss it, you can watch or you can listen through podcasts, right, built into our app, our Simple Church app. You can listen to the messages so that you can catch up on things if you miss it. Or if you use iTunes, we have our podcast is available through iTunes. You, you can subscribe to it, and every time there's a new message, it'll tell you that it's there. So there's lots of ways to listen to it, uh, but make sure that you're listening to it, you know, and, and uh, uh, redeem your time, your drive to work, or the time that you're on the treadmill, or when you're doing things that are just kind of, you know, if you're baking or cooking, turn on a message and listen to it, so that way you can be filled up on what God's plan is and, and what he wants for your life. Amen? All right, so if you missed last week, let me give you a quick review. Now, there is good news and there is bad news when it comes to being rich. The good news is that you and I, we are rich. That's the good news, right? There's a study done that said if you make $33,000 or more a year, that you are in the top 1% of wage earners in this world. Not the country. Let's go big picture here. The world, $33,000. If you make $80,000 a year, whether that's you or combined income with you and your spouse, you are in the top 0.1%. That's a tenth of a percent. You are the cream of the crop of the wage earners in this world. You and I, we are rich. God has blessed us with more than we need. Now, that's the good news. We looked at the bad news, though. The bad news is that you and I are rich. We have rich people problems, right? Like you can't get that hair appointment that you want at that specific time on Saturday. You lose your ever-loving mind. Or maybe you go through the drive-thru and you get mayo on your sandwich for the, like the third time after you told them not to do it and you are ready to cuss at someone, right? Or maybe you're sitting on the john and your Wi-Fi signal, you can't get Wi-Fi, but you need to send an Instagram picture right now, which I don't know why you would do that when you're on the john, but you need it and you can't. These are rich people problems. First world issues. The real problems we decided, though, was that we simply have difficulty. There were three problems that we decided. Is that, that being rich, the bad news is, is that it's harder to depend on God. 
We tend to depend on ourselves. We tend to depend on our ability to make wealth and not God himself. The second problem was is that, well, it distracts us from our real priorities. See, we have rich people opportunities. And so we have a priority in our life, and those opportunities pull us away from what's most important in our lives. And then, of course, we decided the bad news was we have a greater responsibility as rich people because to whom much has been given, much is required. And so this was the bad news about being rich. And today what I want to do is I want to cover what we know in the Bible as, as the deceitfulness of riches. See, in Matthew 13, Jesus was telling a story, a, a parable, a metaphor, as it were. And he's, he's trying to help people understand the kingdom of God. He's trying to help them understand things. And so he tells this parable or the story of, of a farmer or what, what he's called, it's known as the parable of the sower, right? And so he's t- talking about this farmer who's throwing seed and he says there's different kinds of fertile that this seed lands on. Or, there's different kind of fertile? There's different kind of soil. Did I say that right? I said it wrong. Different kind of soil that this seed lands on. There's like the rocky soil and then there's the fertile soil and then there's some that have like <clears throat> like weeds in it, right? And, and when he talked about the ones, the weeds, he said the ones that grow in the weeds, they grow up and then the weeds choke them out. The seed takes root, they spring up. And the point of a plant springing up is to produce fruit, right? The fruit, whether it's a vegetable or a fruit or even a flower, it's, it's the fruit of, if, of its life, right? And so that's, that was the point of it. And he said that, that when it's planted with weeds, it chokes them out. His disciples come to him later and said, what does that really mean? What are you talking about, Jesus? And Jesus said, well, here's what it really means. He says, the, the word of God gets sown in people's hearts like they hear it and they respond to it. It takes root in their heart. And they begin to grow, and yet the cares of this world, which he compared to the weeds, he said, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches or the deceitfulness of money chokes out your ability to grow and to produce fruit. Isn't that interesting? The cares of this world, the things that we're running here and there all around the square about, and the deceitfulness of riches, the lies that money tries to tell us, absolutely stunts our spiritual growth. This is what Jesus said. So that's what we're looking at today is the deceitfulness of riches. Now, how many of you guys uh, ever went to like a pizza place where they have those, little, those skill games like, you know, the, the uh, what is it, skee ball or some other kind of skill game where you drop a coin in and it's got to go down a little ramp and hit a little button and, and they spit out tickets kind of like these. Anybody ever been to a place like that before? No, oh, there's a few. There's a few of you awake this morning. That's awesome. Thank you. You guys can answer. It's okay. This is like an interactive kind of thing. Anybody ever been to a place like this before? Hey, there you are. Awesome. Now, I have watched for years. There's a place in town called Magic Mountain. I, I worked there for a few years, and, uh, and it was funny watching from what we called the redemption counter, where you take these things and you cash them in. When you, go, when you stand there, you watch people, man. They get a little bit of these, and then they get a wild fire in their eyes. You know what I'm saying? They're like, i got to get more. And they will cash in everything that they've got, everything in their pocket, and give those tokens to their kids so that they can get more of these. Because some reason, for whatever reason, they believe that the more tickets they get, they're going to get closer to getting a prize from my redemption counter that will change their lives. They believe this, and so they spend everything they can. Parents, you watch them. They give the tokens to their kids, and the kids are sitting there playing. They're dropping them in the little slot, and then mom and dad just gets impatient with them. Get over. Let me show you how it's done. And the next thing you know, all the tokens are gone. All the tokens are gone, and mom and dad has a big stack of 743 tickets, and they walk up to my counter, and they drop them off, and they say, I'm ready for my prize, and I go, here you go. It's a little finger puppet. 
743 tickets. See, the tickets lie to them. They promise them something that is life-changing, and they wind up with a finger puppet. And as we get older, these tickets kind of change, right? They don't so much look like this anymore. They start to look like this. Our tickets start to look like this. They, they look like money. And our money lies to us. It tells us if you just get more of these, if you'll just get more stacks of cash, that you will be able to buy something that will change your life. Just get enough of these. And the, the problem is, is that these things, these tickets are lying to you. It's the deceitfulness of money that will choke out your life. Because see, money doesn't change your life. All it does is magnifies who you are in your heart. It reveals who you are. I know plenty of people that have won the lottery, life-changing money, what they call life-changing money, and it didn't change their lives. It made them a bigger, hotter mess. You know what I'm talking about? They were in a worse state after they won the money than they were when they initially won the money. Why? Because money doesn't change your life. It promises to, but it doesn't change your life. It just reveals who you are in your heart. And so it's important that we understand that these these tickets are deceitful. And so our key thought for today's message is that the world wants you to serve money. As a Christ follower, the world wants you to serve money. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, he said, no one can serve two masters. He said, either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, isn't that interesting? Jesus didn't say you cannot serve God and power. He didn't say you cannot serve God and popularity. He didn't say you cannot serve God and prestige. No, he said you cannot serve God and money. It's almost as if Jesus knew that money would be the number one contender for that place in our hearts. It's like he was keyed in on something that you and I didn't know. Why is money such an attractive false god for us? Well, it's really simple. Money promises what only God can provide. That's why. That's why we look at it. That's why we believe it. We trust it. We hope in it. We pursue it. Because it promises what only God can provide. Well, what does God, what does God actually provide for us? Well, happiness and security. These are the two things that money says I can give you, that only God can give you. Happiness and security. We believe that if I have enough money, I'll be happy. If I have enough money, then I'll be secure. But these are things that God promises us. We believe that enough money buys us things to make us happy. It gives us the bigger house with the bigger bathroom and the bigger kitchen, or it gives us the, the car with the sunroof so that we can put our heads out of it while someone's driving and let our cheeks just flop. That'll make me happy. We believe that 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 if I have more money, I can get my hair done more often, or I can get my nails done so that I'm on fleek. Is that correct, ladies? <laughs> Said the man in the back. <laughs> yes. But we know that, that these tickets are lying to us. You don't get more of this and get happiness. True joy only comes from God. It's the same thing with security. We believe that if we have more money, then we'll be hemmed in, that nothing can touch us, right? And so we go after money. We pursue it. We, if I get a big enough stack, then nothing bad or anything bad that ever happens to me, I'll be okay. Until someone gets struck down with cancer in your family, and then your money can't fix that situation, and your security is out the window. Because only God provides security. 
The world wants you to serve money. And some of you are pushing back. You're like, you know, I'd never love and serve money, Aaron. Well, I'm going to show you a few ways that you are, and I want you to brace yourself because I know you thought you came to be encouraged on a Sunday morning, and I'll get there, but first got to go here, okay? So answer yourself honestly these questions, and if you say yes to any of these questions, it is possible that you, have, that you love and serve money, okay? Have you ever purchased anything with money you don't have to impress people you don't really like? Then it's possible you love and serve money. Have you ever taken your kids to the movie theater or the, the amusement park and lied about their age and said they was 12 when they really 17 because you want that discount on the pass? If so, then, then you love and serve money. Have you ever gone to a restaurant and asked, you know, I'll just have a water, please, and then you go to the fountain drinks and you get yourself a Coke or whatever else is there? Then you, then you love and serve Money. Have you ever cheated on your taxes, lied about how you're spending your money so that you can get a larger return or even have to pay smaller taxes? Well, then you love and serve money. If you fight to move up the corporate ladder at the expense of your family, you love and serve money. Now, this is so important that we get this right. In fact, Paul, who wrote half of the New Testament, most of the New Testament actually, told his spiritual son, Timothy, who was a pastoring a church, he said, listen, this is so important that you get this right. You've got to help people. You've got to help the rich people do this. Now, last week we talked about who is rich. So just so that I know that you know that I know you know, you know? Who are the rich people? Uh, thank you. Yes, we got it over here. Us. We are the rich people. We're the rich people that the Bible is talking about. And so Paul says, hey, you've got to help these people sitting at Simple Church in Reynoldsburg, Ohio, get this right. You've got to help them because they're the rich people. And this is what he said in 1 Timothy 6, uh, verses 17 through 18. He said, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. This is what he said. He didn't say suggest this. He didn't say it's a good idea. He said command them. Tell them, hey, if you're a Christ follower, this is the way you got to go. You need to be rich in good deeds, generous, and willing to share freely. And so what we've been doing, what we did last week is we kind of crafted a statement that was just for us. And what, we're going, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put it up on the screen. We're going to all say this together, what we decided on last week. And then we're going to add a little bit to it. Now, if you're, if you're watching by Periscope or listening by the podcast, I want you to say it with us too. Uh, I'll say it once and then you can repeat it. It'll freak out whoever you're sitting next to on the treadmill. You just start talking to yourself, right? So here we go. God has blessed me with more than I need. I'm rich. Let's do this all together, all right? God has blessed me with more than I need. I'm rich. This is where we landed last week. Now this week, we're going to add a little more to it, and every week we'll add a little more to it. This week, we're going to add this. God has blessed me with more than I need. I'm rich. I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. So let's try that. God has blessed me with more than I need. I'm rich. I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. The challenge is, is that we all on some level or another are in love with money. And the Bible tells us that the love of money, not money itself, because money is not evil inherently. Money is just a revealer of what's already in your heart, a magnifier of who you are. But the love of money 
when you love it, is the root of all evil. It's when you love it, that's when your problems begin. And, and so uh, it, it's important that we expose this and understand what are the problems with loving money? What does it produce in our life? And the first problem that you come across, and, and by the way, as I go through these, you're going to see yourself in these just as much as I saw myself this past week. So just know that I'm in this boat with you, all right, as we go through this. But the first problem for people who love and trust money is that they never have enough. They never have enough. If I ask you, are you satisfied with the amount of money that you make, and you respond to me, no, it is possible that this is an indicator that you love money. Because Solomon, the richest and wisest man who ever walked this earth, said in Ecclesiastes 5.10, whoever loves money never has enough. And whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. In other words, if you love it and you trust it, you'll never be satisfied with, with what amount you get, no matter what that dollar amount is. That line of satisfaction will continue to move away from you. I told you last week, years ago, when I was making $24,000, that I thought I was, I was all doing all right. You know, married, three kids, making $24,000, we was doing okay, and then I got a pay raise. Got a new job, and they were paying me 40000 a year. And I was like, man, this is it. We can have all of this stuff. And then my kids got older, and their sports and activities got a little more expensive. And some of the things that we got into got a little more expensive. And that 40000 that I was making just wasn't enough. And no matter what it is, no matter what X amount of money it is that you say will be enough, when you get there, you'll find that it's not enough when you love and trust money. So the question is, how much money do you need to be satisfied we're totally secure. The Bible says that no matter what that dollar amount is, that if you love money and trust it, it'll, it'll never be enough. And this is dangerous in our relationship with God. Here's why. In Proverbs 18, 11, it says, the rich think of their wealth as a strong defense. They imagine it to be a high wall of safety. Now, if we understand that we are the rich people. We can read this verse a little differently. We think of our wealth as a strong defense. We imagine it to be a high wall of safety. We imagine that however much money we have is going to defend us, it's going to protect us, it's going to be a wall of safety for us. But again, money promises what only God can provide. It doesn't matter if you're making three times the amount of money that you would be making today. It'll never be enough if you love and serve money. It's a serious spiritual issue. The second problem uh, for people who love money and love and trust money is that they find it increasingly difficult to give big. They find it increasingly difficult to give big. Studies show that the more money you have or the bigger your stack is, the smaller the percentages that you actually give away. Now, we're not talking about dollar amounts. You may actually be giving away more money than you've ever given away in your life, but percentage-wise... What's the percentage that you're giving away based on how much that you're making, right? Has that increased? What does that look like? And they say that that number is smaller than the, per the, the percentage or the amount of money that people that have a small stack give away. Because people with a small stack, they give freely. They realize that, hey, you know, my, my stack is not going to be, it's not going to provide everything that I need, so I might as well just give some of it away and trust God, Right? 
So people who have a smaller stack tend to give away more than people with a bigger stack. And why is that? Well, when you get a bigger stack, it's kind of harder to let it go. It's, it, it's because we trust in the stack. Our stacks become precious to us. Like we start to pet it and love it and name it and call it your precious, my precious. Yeah, it's our precious. We pet it, love it. Like Smeagol from Lord of the Rings. Nobody got that at all, huh? All right, cool. It is precious to us. We worked hard for this. We don't want to let it walk out the door. We don't want to give it away because if we give it away, I might not be able to make it back. If it leaves my life, I mean, look how hard I work to make my stack this big. We don't, we don't want to let it go. But those that don't have much, they're already trusting God. They have no stack. In fact, when you look at the Bible, and, and I don't know about you guys, but when I read my Bible, I really have to read my Bible. Like I look at it and I just, sometimes I look at these situations that Jesus is in and that they decided to put this in the Bible and I go, this is really weird because think about this within our context today. Jesus is sitting with some of his followers at church, they call it the temple, and uh, they didn't take up an offering like we do, they, they actually had a box at the back of the door. So after you came to church, you walked out and people put money in the box as they walked out and Jesus is sitting there watching people as they leave and watching how much they put in the bucket. In fact, he's so close that he can tell you how much you're putting in the bucket. Think about that within our context today. If I just put a little box by the back door, and I just sat there and waited until the end of service, as you all pass by and you put money in the bucket, how weird, you'd be like, oh man, he's sitting right there, I guess I gotta put something in, you know? And Some of you reach down in your pockets and find lint and you just kinda put your hand in the bucket so that I'll never know. How awkward would that be? Jesus is actually close enough that he can see the amount, the amount written on your check, and you want me to, I'm like, no, that's awkward. So I don't know if you read your Bible. I read my Bible, and I'm just thinking this is a weird scenario. But this is what's happening. And Jesus is sitting there, and he's watching as the wealthy people come by, and they put their bags of money in the offering box. And then he gets really, really jazzed about this poor little old woman She's a widow, and she comes walking by, and she takes out two pennies and drops them into the box. Now, I get it. I love pennies myself. When my wife calls me, and I'm super happy on the phone, she's like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, I just found a penny in the parking lot. I'm a happy guy, right? Some of y'all don't understand that, and that's okay. I'm, I'm weird. I find pennies. I make it a rule, though. I do not pick up a penny if I find it in a bathroom. That's just not happening. Just, it'll stay there, but I'm sad about it when I can't pick it up. But Jesus sees these two pennies and he gets really excited because she drops them in. And he talks to his disciples. He's like ribbing them. Did you guys see that? She just put two pennies in the offering bucket. <laughs> They're like, what gives, Jesus? He said, well, see all those guys, the people before that gave the big bags of money, they gave out of their excess. In other words, they gave out of a, a small percentage of what they had. He said, but that lady right there, her stack is real small. Do you know the size of her stack? It was two pennies. And she put it all in the bucket and said, I'm gonna trust God with everything. Jesus got excited at her level of faith, her trust, not the pennies. She gave 100%. And that's what he was telling his disciples. In fact, this so was so important that it even impacted Paul. Paul was describing some Christians who had the same mentality. There's a church in Macedonia who was relatively poor, and they were doing an offering, a collection for another church. 
that was hurting, a group of people that were hurting. And this is what Paul says about them in 2 Corinthians. Now, I'm going to read this to you. And when you, when you see the weird moment, okay, could you just take note? I don't mean write it down, but just, just pay attention to the weird moment here, okay? Because there's good stuff in your Bible if you just look at it. I'm just telling you. You, you. You'll see this weird moment that just won't make any sense. You ready for it? 2 Corinthians 8. In the midst of a very severe trial, this is the, the Macedonian church, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty. He just put those two things together. Be honest, how many of y'all have been rich and been poor at some point in your life? How many of y'all were happier when you were rich than when you were poor, right? Yeah, those hands stayed up, but yep, happier when I was rich than when I was poor. I like it. I liked having money better than not having money. And yet, Paul says their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty, not just like a little bit of poverty, they are just at the poverty line, extreme poverty. These are like, it's extreme. Welled up in rich generosity. And it says, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their, be- uh, their ability. What does that mean? Well, it means that they made some sacrifices. It means that some of them pushed back their plate and said, you know what, I'm not going to eat today so that I can be able to give, give some of the money that it would have cost me to make food today to someone else. I'm going to go ahead and sacrifice my energy drinks for the week and not drink a monster so that I can give that 4 or $5 to someone else. And they were faithful to that. They turned off their cable televisions. They turned off their ESPN. Maybe they, maybe they stopped using so much data and reduced their data plans. Or they made some kind of sacrifice in some way, shape, or form, whether it was temporary or long term. They made a sacrifice for someone else in the midst of extreme poverty themselves, overflowing joy, happy to do it. Doesn't make any sense, does it? And yet in God's economy and God's way of doing things, this is how it's done. When you give, even when it's sacrificial for you, you discover real life. You discover a life that is abundant. You discover what Jesus called a full and fulfilled life. So what's happening here is they didn't trust their stack. They trusted God and they gave generously. We push back on that because the more we have, the harder it is for us to give generously. And we say, well, Aaron, you don't understand. I'll give when my student loans are paid. Or I'll give when my house is paid off. Or when we get our credit card debt under control. Or when the kids move out of the house. Or when I get the better job. Or I get the raise at my current job. That's when I'll be able to give. No, you won't. You'll get to those things and you'll just continue in the current pattern that you're at. No, what, what Paul is calling people to do is not to give when. He's saying be generous and give now. Be generous and give now right where you're at. Rich people who are good at being rich... Give generously when? Now. They, they do it right now. They don't wait. Again, that verse from 1 Timothy says, command those who are rich in this present world, that's now, not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, be rich in good deeds, and be generous and willing to share. Why? Because people know they need to know that the life that they're looking for is not found in greater stacks of these tickets. The life that they're looking for is in the life that Jesus provides. It's 
only found in him. When we give now, when we are generous now, when we give big and realize what we need is him, we get filled in a way that only he can fill us with. We're not going to give later. We need to learn to give now. We need to be good at being rich in what matters most. Can you imagine the new reputation that you could garner, that we could garner as a church? Those crazy Christians who are just generous. They give in such a way that it makes a difference. Wouldn't that be incredible to have that reputation? When we serve God and, and not money, we make money serve us and his purposes. But when we love and serve money, we never have enough and we find it hard to give big. And the third problem for people who love and trust money is that they have money in the bank but no peace in their hearts. We have money in the bank but no peace in our hearts. You can call it toys in the garage, clothes in the closet, money in the bank. Whatever you want to call it, you got a lot of stuff, but you don't have any peace. Solomon knew that this was the case, and again, he's the richest man who ever walked this earth, and he said, better a little with the fear of the Lord. In other words, better to have just a little bit of stuff in a relationship with God. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Better to have just a little bit of stuff and have God than have a bunch of stuff and no peace. It's better. It's better. You can choose it. In other words, there's options here, right? We go to a restaurant and we want, we want fries, but it is better with bacon and cheese on them. Can I get an amen? It's better. It's your choice. There is a better, and God says there is better. It's better to have a little with God than to have a lot without peace. I've met wealthy people and poor people alike that were far from God, both of them. And both of them just destroying their lives, living from the same place of insecurity. They think they've got to have more money. That money is going to be the answer to all their problems, so it wreaks havoc across their relationships. It wreaks havoc across their careers and across their attitudes. It absolutely destroys them. It causes them to do things and to compromise their character in ways that they never imagined it would. The deceitfulness of riches has influenced them and has led them to places they don't want to be. All of them pursuing security and happiness, trying to build their stacks. But I've also met people with money that are close to God, that are following Jesus. And I've also met poor people that are close to God. They have a little in a relationship with God. And they are some of the happiest people. They have so much joy that they are to be envied. Seriously. When I was in Panama on one of our mission trips a few years ago, we were in Cologne, Panama, in a little place called Little Italy. And there was this old rundown church building that we went there to repair, to fix up. The roof was caving in. They couldn't have services there. It was too dangerous. And we went to fix up the roof and to put walls on the building. And we got there, and there was a young man. His name was Ariel. And Ariel lived in a shack that was no bigger than our bathrooms. Just one bathroom. Not two. His home for him, his wife, and his child was as big as our bathrooms. And the, ba- and, the, and the home consisted of metal walls, four metal walls and a door, and a tin roof. And the tin roof was slanted in such a way that all the water that would run off would run into a, a bucket or a barrel next to his house with dirt floors. And that barrel 
had a little nozzle on it, and that's what Ariel drank out of. That's what Ariel used to wash his hands and clean himself up and do his laundry and things. He had no running water, no plumbing, nothing. The only toilet that was nearby was at the church, and you had to carry a bucket of water up there and pour it into the, into the toilet to even flush it. Ariel lived in extreme poverty. And Ariel had been laid off for some weeks when we got there, but he had recently gotten a job to go work on the highways again and make money paving the roads. And Ariel, instead of going to work, heard that we were coming to rebuild the church in his area, said, I'm going to wait, and I'm going to put that job off, and I'm going to wait, and I'm going to work with these guys. So Ariel worked with us for a week, didn't speak a lick of English, but he came, became my brother by the end of, of that week. I got multiple phone calls from him after I left there. Hello, this is Ariel. And that was it. He didn't speak any other English. And it was like, all right, well, that was the end of this phone call, you know, because I don't speak much Spanish either. And, uh, but, but at the end of the week, we, we took up an offering for the pastor in that local church, but we also took up an offering for Ariel because us rich people were there. You know, we were there to make a difference, and we felt like we needed to bless Ariel, who had taken a week off work to be there to help us, you know, build this building. <clears throat> and Ariel was so full of joy and peace because he had a little and knew God that he took that money that we gave him and he went out. There was 13 of us on that trip and he went out and bought each and every single one of us a gift with that money. He didn't even use it for himself. It's funny. My wife was on that trip. He bought everybody a gift but my wife. I don't even know what that was about, but he totally skipped her. Called everybody up in front and gave us all a gift, and she was like, okay, I'm next. And then he just never called her. It was really awkward, but I actually didn't remember that until first service. She was sitting right there, and she's like, thanks for that. Yeah, well, you know. But But he took that money that we blessed him with, and he blessed us back. Why? Because Ariel had peace. Ariel had joy that you and I couldn't even begin to understand because he has a little. He understands it was better to have a little and have God. It's all he had to rely upon. That's all he knew was his trust and his hope was in God. That is a relationship to, to be envied. Some of you are here today and you earn more than your parents ever earned. You earn more than you ever thought you would earn. And yet you live with such stress and anxiety in your life and you don't understand why. And the reason is is because you consume everything you get. You consume it all because you assume that it's just for you. Well, then now that I've made this this much money, I can do this. I can can go here. I can buy that. I can have this. You, You consume it all for yourself. And yet there are people in your row who probably make a third of what you make, and yet they're the happiest people ever, and they don't understand why you're stressed out. Because they live beneath their means. They make margin in their life so that they can give. They have that joy that comes from a relationship with God where they're not consuming all that they get. They have a life that you don't know anything about. Now, I want to be very, very clear. So I'm not up here talking about money because I need your money. See, some of you are sitting here like this. Well, this is just another preacher talking about money. Let me just go ahead and write this sermon off. Look, let me tell you something. I am convinced that it doesn't matter if you give a dime Whenever we pass the offering buckets, it doesn't matter because if God's called me to this city to preach the gospel and reach people, that he will make a way when there is no way. 
that he will take care of all of my needs. And he has continued to do that since we got here. I don't need your money. I don't want something from you. What I want is something for you. What I want is for you to surrender your hearts completely to God and know the kind of relationship that Ariel knew. That's what I want for you. I'm telling you, the Bible says there is a way that is better. It is your choice, though. It is your choice. I don't want something from you. I want something for you because some of you are here today and you wrongly believe that what I really need in my life is more money and you have been deceived. You believe that most of your problems will be solved by getting more money and you are under its influence. Money is not the answer to your problems. Jesus is the answer to your problems. Having more money will not keep your kids off drugs. Having more money will not heal your, heal your best friend who has cancer. Having more money isn't going to save your marriage. None of that will. More Jesus in your life will transform your life. That was a good place to amen, and that's okay. I understand you're sleeping. Thank you. More of his power, more of his presence, more of his grace in your life will transform who you are. And when your life gets changed, you will suddenly realize that all of the wealth that you have, all of the riches that you have is not for you. It's, it's not for you. Suddenly you'll, you'll learn to live beneath your means instead of at your means or beyond. You'll learn to create margin in your life so that you can be generous when? Now. You'll learn that you can give big. Why? Because money isn't what makes you feel secure and significant. Being good at being rich at what matters most is your priority. And you can have peace now because we don't trust in our stacks. We trust in God. He is our provider, not our jobs, not our employers, not our savings accounts, not our inheritances that are to come. God is our source of peace. So the Bible tells us to command those who are rich not to be arrogant. We don't serve money. We serve God. And money serves us. God has blessed us with more than we need. We are rich. But we'll not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, Father, I ask that you would just do a work in us. Lord, that you would help us to place our trust in you. If we're being honest, there are parts of our hearts that still don't fully trust you. We trust our money. We trust our ability to earn wealth. And we live with that tension and we lack peace as a result. We feel like it's all on us and that insecurity, if we're being honest, is, is exhausting. We're losing sleep about it overnight. Lord, we need your help in this area. Help us place our trust in you today and not our, our riches. Lord, you promised us that if we were weary, that if we would come to you, that you would give us rest. Let us have rest for our anxieties and our worries in this area of our lives, our insecurities, Lord. Not by giving us bigger stacks, but by giving us more of you. We need you, Lord, so that we can be good at being rich and what matters most. As we continue to pray today with every head down and every eye, eye closed, the spiritual journey that we believe God has for every single person in this room is that you would know God, that you would find freedom, that you would discover that he has a purpose for your, your life, and that you would ultimately be able to make a difference in other people's lives. 
But that very first step, that very first one is so important because all the rest of your journey hinges on that first one, and that's you knowing God. And so right now is your opportunity to know him. You say, how do I get to know him? Well, through something, a conversation that we call prayer. And it begins with asking for his help. If you've never done this before, or maybe you have before and you've walked far away from it, know that today you can begin a different life. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have Christianity or how to live for Jesus all figured out. You just got to begin somewhere. And you begin with saying, Jesus, I, I need you to teach me. I need you to be Lord of my life. Be in charge. See, when we do that, we get everything that he offers. See, we're talking about giving today, and what you need to understand is that you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. And God said that he loves you. And so in John 3.16, we see where in Scripture it says that God so loved you and me that he gave. What did he give? He gave us his son, Jesus. And Jesus was his only son. In other words, God gave it all. Why did he do that? Well, because you and I were born sinners. Don't get, don't get so upset over that word sin. It just means that we're living ways that are contrary to God's best for us. We're living in a way that is far from him. And in order to bring us closer to him, in order to forgive us of our sins, there was a price that had to be paid. And neither you and I could pay that with our own lives. There's nothing we could do here on earth. In fact, the Bible says that the way we are to pay for our sins is eternity in hell. But God said, you know what? I'll send my son Jesus. I'll send him. And if you accept this free gift of salvation, if you allow him to be Lord of your life, if you'll follow his ways, which will ultimately lead to a full and fulfilled life here on earth, I'll give you a greater life after this one, a life in heaven. Jesus exchanged his own life and a gift, the greatest demonstration of love for you and me so that we could have new life. So if you're here today and you want new life, you want to be forgiven, you want to say yes to heaven and no to hell, you want to say yes to a full and fulfilled life and no to the empty pursuits that you've been chasing after. I'm going to pray a prayer. and You don't have to know the words. You can just repeat the words that I pray. You just need to mean them in your heart. And so I'm going to pray. And you can pray along with me too. In fact, if you're going to pray along with me, you say, Aaron, I'm going to make that commitment today. Would you just kind of slowly slip your hand up and say, Aaron, that's me. I'm going to say yes today. Yeah, thanks. His hand's all over this place. That's awesome. That's awesome. You can put your hands down. I'm going to go ahead and pray. You just need to repeat the words after me, and you need to mean them. If you're watching my Periscope live, you can do this now, or if you're listening by podcast, wherever you are, I believe that God will meet you there at that point. Just pray, Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that you came to this world, that you lived a perfect and sinless life, that you died for my sins so that I could be forgiven, so that I could be made brand new. And you rose from the dead three days later, Jesus. I offer you my life in exchange for the life that you've promised me, which is full and fulfilled. Help me live for you every day, Jesus. I'll give it my best. Be Lord of my life. Make me brand new. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.